Welcome to The Big Interview with Dan Rather, the podcast that delves deep into the heart of music through the words of the artists themselves. This is your backstage pass to intimate conversations with legends and icons from across the music world, as guided by none other than the legendary Dan Rather. Each episode will bring you exclusive in-depth interviews from rock and roll to country, from pop to alternative. We cover it all right here on The Big Interview with Dan Rather. So sit back, relax, and prepare to immerse yourself in the stories, the struggles, the triumphs, and the tunes that have shaped our musical landscape. Here's your host, Dan Rather. What's your name, little girl? What's your name? On this edition of The Big Interview, Johnny Van Sant, Gary Rossington, and Ricky Medlock of the legendary Leonard Skinner. Well, look who's coming here. How are you, Mr. Rattler? Good to see you. Good to see you. Good to see you. Leonard Skinnerd is one of the greatest rock bands of all time. I was cutting the rug down at a place called Chuck with a girl named Linda The band pioneered a popular new genre of rock and roll, a mix of country, blues, and hard rock that was uniquely Southern. Leonard Skinnerd's plain-spoken lyrics and unique sound put Southern rock on the map. The band's roots date back to 1964, when five teenagers from Jacksonville, Florida, first began playing together. Soon, Ronnie Van Sant, Bob Burns, Gary Rossington, Alan Collins, and Larry Johnstrom formed Leonard Skinner. What I plan to do In the aftermath of the 1960s, Leonard Skinner became the voice of the New South. As the band toured the country with a sometimes changing lineup, including the brief addition of a young drummer and backup vocalist named Ricky Medlock, they gained a considerable fan base, opening for big name bands like the Rolling Stones and the Who. But it was their smash hit, Sweet Home Alabama, in 1974, that made them a household name. It was the band's first top 10 single. Perhaps one of Leonard Skinner's most iconic songs is Free Bird, 
The song features their trademark three-part guitar harmony, And while it may not have been an instant hit when it was first released, Free Bird has easily become the most requested live song in existence. Skinnerd is known not only for their music, but also for their resilience. After a horrific plane crash claimed the lives of three band members in 1977, a new lineup of Leonard Skinnerd emerged 10 years later, with Ronnie's younger brother Johnny Van Sant at the helm, along with one-time member Ricky Medlock and founding member Gary Rossington. The revamped Leonard Skinnerd lineup has been touring and putting out new music together for decades. Now in 2018, the band is on their farewell tour. I sat down with Johnny Van Sant, Gary Rosington, and Ricky Medlock on the USS Intrepid a retired aircraft carrier that is now a floating museum docked on the Hudson River in New York. Good to see you. Thanks yeah, for coming, good to see guys. You. Our pleasure. This is the farewell tour. Why a farewell? Why now? Why now? Actually, uh, this is the last time we'll be touring a tour, but it's actually because of my health. I've had bad health lately. I got a bad heart. I had a lot of stents put in and few operations so I didn't know I'd be lasting this long or maybe we had <laughs> waited but it was for my health actually and and it takes a long time to finish a farewell tour when you like us because we played everywhere and there's thousands of venues so I keep joking it, it'd take 10 years to do the final <laughs> world tour. Gary's going, it's going to be a long farewell <laughs> but, uh, but Yeah, but then after that, you know, after a few years of doing this, we'll, uh, we, we're going to do a CD, a new record, so we won't go away, but we won't be touring every year like we do. Yeah, I've been in the group for 31 years, mm -hmm. and we've been out here. Ricky, you're back with the group, what, 25? 23, 23, 25 25 years. Yeah. years. And we've been out every summer. I live in Florida. I never see Florida because we're always on the road during the summer. <laughs> I hear so, it's hot down there. Now here it is, yeah. <laughs> I know it is in Texas. <laughs> well, now, Leonard Skinner is well known for putting on a very different kind of concert, a unique concert. What makes it unique? In all honesty, the music that Ronnie and Gary and Alan created uh, back then is so unique and, and so heartfelt that people, they just are drawn to it. The music is really the key to it all. And we see it every night. I mean, every night that we walk out and we play those songs, we play Freebird, of course, at the very end of the night and Sweet Home Alabama and Simple Man and Tuesday's Gone and all these songs that they created. That is the real key secret to it because those songs 
will be here a lot longer after we're all gone. And to me, the touring, people come every year to be able to celebrate the music that the band created. And I, and I believe that's the magic of it. I used to say, <laughs> we're the Grateful Dead of the South, you know, because Grateful mm -hmm. Dead, we have fans that follow us from each gig to each gig. Sometimes every night. Every, every yeah. night you see, see these same fans, you're like, you know you're going to see the same show. <laughs> but, I mean, they love it. They love it that much. You know, my brother and Ronnie and Alan and this band came from a very simple background on the west side of Jacksonville, Florida. And what they did was magical and it touched people. It touched people with lyrics and the songs and it was a unique band because they had three guitar players, a keyboard, it was a lot of strings. And Leonard Skinner, still to this day, it's the same thing. You and probably some of your fans are gonna roll their eyes at this question, but it's <laughs> a must ask question. Why the name Leonard Skinner? Uh-oh. Well, yeah, we get that asked a lot. It was actually, it was my gym coach, but in the early days, we used to hang out so much together. There, when the phone would ring and there would be a wrong number, uh, we had a joke saying it was Leonard. Or if the door, you heard, thought you heard somebody at the door and you'd go answer, nobody there was Leonard. Or you'd hear a noise or something. Who was that? Oh, it was Leonard. It was like a joke in the band. And then I got a gym coach named Leonard Skinner. And back then we wanted to be like the Beatles, like I said, and have long hair, but the dress code was down to your eyebrows and not touching your ears. So during school, we'd put the guys in the band, we'd put uh, Vaseline or Brill Cream, you remember that. <laughs> but anyway, we'd do that and then it looked short, then after school we'd shake it down and have a little bit of a Beatle cut. But he'd see us a lot and uh, he kept throwing me out of school, or not throwing me out, but sending you home and you had to get a haircut to come back in. So he kicked me out two or three or four times and finally I just quit because we were playing in the band and I, that was our dream and we knew we were gonna make it. And if we weren't, we were still gonna die trying and playing clubs and stuff. <laughs> so I was, you know, I just you didn't have it. plan B. I didn't have no no plan B, <laughs> and uh, but it was after a gym coach. We uh, spelled the name with Wise, and and you know spelled it different so we wouldn't get sued by him. But but it was a gym coach, man. It's funny. When we come back to Dan Rather's big interview with Leonard Skinner, tragedy strikes and nothing is ever the same again. Stay with us. And now, the scary truth behind that fateful day, as Dan Rather's big interview with Leonard Skinner continues. What's your name, little girl? What's your name? On October 17, 1977, Leonard Skinner was on top of the world. They had just released their highly anticipated fifth studio album, Street Survivors. And they were embarking on a world tour but three days later, it would all come to a screeching halt. This bulletin just in. The Federal Aviation Administration reports that a plane carrying 25 persons crashed tonight in southwest Mississippi. The band was aboard a small twin-engine plane on their way to Baton Rouge, Louisiana, when the plane lost fuel and crashed. Six people lost their lives. Among them was the heart and soul of the band, Ronnie Van Zant. Twenty others on board somehow survived the crash, including guitarist Gary Rossington. 
I don't want to raise anything that's nightmarish. It has to be nightmarish for you. But you're in the plane, you know it's going down. Give us a sense of that. I mean, did you spend your time in prayer? Did you spend the time cursing the airplane? Well, we were playing poker and just having a flight, you know, on a private plane. There's no rules. You don't have to buckle up or sit down the whole time or nothing. Anyway, we were just flying along. But the pilot, the co-pilot came back and said, hey, guys, we got trouble. We're going to make an emergency landing in a field, so get ready. Put your head between your legs and buckle up. So most people did that, you know. Now, myself, I was Ronnie was by me, and Dean, another guy that died during the crash, our, our road manager, Dean Kirkpatrick, and, and Alan was across from me, and Cassie and Steve Gaines, they both died, and me and Alan didn't. So we always ask ourselves, why didn't we go and not them? But the sense before it crashed was you're in so much shock or, or disbelief, and at the same time, belief, and oh my God, it's true, and what, you don't have time to think, even if you had 10 minutes, your mind just goes. And I thought, I just, you know, was waiting and thinking nothing. You know, I didn't know what to think. And, but it was really scary for a minute. And then all of a sudden it was a real calm, like, well, it's gonna happen. And then it started and we hit the tops of trees and it was real loud and started soft. And, <clears throat> got so loud till it just crashed, you know, and I woke up, uh, it was like a Vietnam experience or something, I wasn't there, but I woke up in a swamp hearing all my brothers crying or screaming, you know, because they were hurt and it was natural or dead, and so I was laying, I was hurt real bad, and I thought the plane door was on me, some hunk of metal. And I screamed out for somebody to get it off of me. And finally I said, Dean, our road manager, get this thing off of me. And, well, Dean walked over and threw that piece of metal off of me. But then later in the hospital, a few weeks later, uh, a doctor told me that the way he came in, he was so, he couldn't have done that. What happened to him? So it was his spirit. So I believe in that. But there was so much... I could go on for two days Dean about. He was a helper, wasn't he? The, yeah, yeah. And the, he was it's God. It was God. You see him, and after the crash, I remember laying in the hospital for the first week or so. But the first three or four days, I say three because that's when Jesus, you know, was resurrected after three days. But I could see all over their faces and the flowers. People were seeing a lot of flowers. <clears throat> they were all over the room, and when I looked in there, I'd see them. And I believe it was their spirit helped me get through it, but coming to me and being there right with me. Do you or do you not still have nightmares about it? You have to talk about it. People such as myself are going to ask you about it. I hate to say this, yeah, a lot. I do. I don't even tell my wife because, but if I told you every night, I don't think you'd believe me, but every night I have some kind of weird dream about it. Well, let me ask you this. And, You've been so generous with your time and with yourself, and I appreciate it. But, you know, the history, I don't know of another band that has this kind of history. You know, the band was very successful. The band then comes back in many ways as strong as, as ever was, with the brother taking over the 
yeah, lead brother. singing role. How did you make that happen? You know, Dan, for me, honestly, I had quit the music business. And I went driving truck. So I'm driving my truck, but I still love to write songs. And I'm doing some demo tapes, and this gentleman named Joe Boylan, who I'd met in Nashville, says, hey, well, I know Ahmed Erdogan. He's chairman of Atlantic Records. He signed Led Zeppelin and Ray Charles. and Everybody. And uh, I think he'll like your stuff. I said, oh, okay. I said, well, so I sent him a cassette. And honestly, on Friday night, I get a call from this gentleman saying that Ahmed wants to come in and talk to me. Sign me to Atlantic Records. I said, oh, okay. Yeah, I'm in the, been in the music business. I didn't quit this nonsense. And uh, I couldn't believe it was going to happen. So anyway, on Monday, Ahmed Erdogan flies in, signs me to Atlantic Records. On the following Friday, Gary called me and said, hey, we want to go out and do a tribute tour and respect the name of Leonard Skinner. I said, my God, I was driving a truck in one week. I mean, I got a record deal and I got Gary calling me. So I walked into a room and here are the surviving members. If my brother would have lived, Leonard Skinner would have went on. He was that type of man. He said, we're going, to pick, we're going to dust it off and we're going to carry this thing on. Whenever they asked me to be a part of this, I said, let's go in and try to rehearse. It's been 31 years. Freebird, which you end the concert with just about every time. Who wants to talk about the history oh, of Freebird and how well, it came about? Actually, Alan Collins wrote the music and he wrote uh, these chords, the chords of Freebird he had for a while, a month or two, and kept playing them, you know, when we'd be at rehearsal or sitting around in the living room or just hanging. We always had a guitar, so he'd play those chords and we thought of writing a song, but Ryan's kept thinking, no, there's too many changes. I can't think of a melody to that. So we'd go on. And that happened a while, and he kept playing it a lot. You know, Alan would play it every once in a while. Finally, Ronnie went, hey, play that again. And he just kind of, we were on the couch, I remember, and he said, play that again. And he'd say it two or three times, and all of a sudden, he'd go, what do you think about this? And then he'd just sing the whole song to you or his idea, he wouldn't write it down. He thought if you couldn't remember it, it wasn't worth keeping. Usually would come out of the shower. We'd be on the road or, it, or even when we were younger, playing little teen dens and high school dances. Come out of the shower when we getting ready and go, hey, listen to this and start singing an idea. <laughs> the acoustics were good in the shower. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we either would have a guitar and come up with some music, me or Alan or Ed or who was around or else we'd have a lick and, you know, say, what do you think of this? And he would write it, but he'd never write it. He'd write it. Well, at the other end, Simple Man is a moving homage, not only to your brother, Ronnie Van Sant, but to the entire band. Well, we, we band loves it. It's, man, I remember that one too. I, was, I had the chords, I was just playing the chords over and over to him, seeing if he could, come up with anything and 
he well he did it again. He just came out with them when he after he had them after I'd played it for about 20 or 30 minutes. He'd say, "What do you think?" Of, and start singing them. We had just talked about his grandmother has just died, or Johnny Sue Francis, yeah. uh, died, and uh, my father died when I was 10, so I didn't have a father really <laughs> raising me. And we were talking about our mothers and grandmothers, so to speak. And we got on that subject, and I had the chords, and he just came up with those lyrics. He came out with stuff because he felt it so much from his heart, and it just came through him, you know, through God or through yeah. whatever spirit it is that makes people write songs and pull them out of the air, you know. But they would come to him, and, and uh, they were magical, you know. All of us were Southern, so for us, it was yes, ma'am, yes, sir, and... When your mama talked, you listen, you, listen, <laughs> you know, and, and that's the way we were raised. We were raised very common, and my dad was a truck driver, and, you know. We were raised and, to be simple men, yeah, you know. Yeah, really and, was. And be happy. And if listen you to do, mama, because if you didn't, my mom would slap you with a frying yeah. pan. <laughs> well, you know what else? If you listen, this is a very simple song, but if you listen, if you do what that song says, you'll be happy. Find a woman, you'll find love, you know. Good times come, but they will pass, you know, or hard times Trouble will come. Stuff, They'll yeah. pass. They'll be good. And every word he says or verse is true. And if you follow that, you're you're there, you know. It's Don't really forget, cool. son, there's someone up above. He was the most amazing. He, he To me, after, you know, being in the band in the early years, you know, he was the most amazing guy to be able to take and write a song that everybody could relate to. I mean, he had a gift from the creator boy that really, yeah. you know, that was just amazing, you know, to me still to this day. I mean, he really knew how to put it into words. When Dan Rather's big interview with Leonard Skinner continues, Dan talks with the guys about one of their most controversial songs. Stay with us. Welcome back to Dan Rather's big interview with Leonard Skinner. Controversy followed Leonard Skinner from day one. Leonard Skinner is known for their patriotism as well as their unabashed Southern pride. Early in their career, a record company pushed the group to adopt the Confederate flag as part of their act. Since then, the stars and bars have become part of the band's visual imagery. Sweet Home Alabama, it has references to Watergate, references to then-Governor George Wallace. We could spend all day talking about it. For one thing, it's one of the best-known songs of my lifetime and yours. But tell us what those lyrics were meant to convey. Well, there's a lot to that. Now, Ronnie wrote them, so I, I mean, I can't put myself in his head and exactly tell you, but he just wrote about what was happening at that time, you know, and that has a lot to do with the Southern thing and the Confederate flag and all that. When we first came out, there wasn't Southern music yet. And after the Almond Brothers and us kind of came out and popularized it a year or two later, Southern music had a name, Southern, instead of just rock and roll. 
It's Southern Rock. Anybody from the South. Yeah, so yeah. we had the flag then, and our record company really had the flag out because we were from the South and very proud of it. I'm still proud to be there and all the stuff. And it, we never had to hurt anybody's feelings or any political reasons like now. In the 60s, you know, it was a whole different thing and a whole different era. And, and the 70s, you know, having... A, the flag didn't mean quite as much as it does today or didn't offend people. And we don't want to offend, offend people, so we don't use it now. Uh, but I don't know why I'm off on the <laughs> rebel flag. No, I want to make Let it me clear. I wanted, to yeah, tell, help me. I wanted to tell you, though, Ronnie was a jokester. If you look at it, like Gary said, he think, I think he loved it. George Wallace, too, but if you hear the lyrics, in Birmingham, they love the governor. Boo, 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 boo you know. So, but he, and he joke wanted words, to make, yeah. it was more of a joke song to me. Uh, I mean, kind of really was. If you listen to the lyrics, talking about Neil Young, Ronnie loved Neil Young, but it says, Neil Young, Southern man don't need you around, you know, in the lyrics. And uh, it's, it's amazing to me. We go over to Europe. That's like here in the States, a lot of times, Freebird, the song Freebird's bigger than Alabama. You know, as far as concerts, playing concerts. Go over to Europe. They love Sweet Home Alabama. It's amazing the band was created in Jacksonville, Florida. But people think the band's from yeah. Alabama. Yeah. But the, they the do. reason why they were in Alabama so much, too, was that they were recording down in Muscle Shoals. You mentioned the flag. We were talking about the Confederate flag, right. which for a long time was sort of a symbol associated with the band. And for a very long time until quite recently... And he said, you're not a racial band. It's not a racial reference. Never. But for our, for the viewers, for someone watching this and doesn't know the history of the band, that may not know much about the band, and is saying, why the hell would they ever use the Confederate flag? Right. Why, why would they ever I, use the Confederate I, can, flag? Can I say something real sure. quick? I think that it was set up, okay, we're a Southern band. We're going to battle. Let's put that up, you know, because yeah. let's run, run with it. Because that was a battle flag. You know what I mean? Okay, we're trying to make a point here. Let's go out and do this, you know. And for us, though, if you listen to the song Sweet Home Alabama, the girls on it is the Water Sisters. Yeah. There's a famous gospel group. You know, they're, they're black. So, I mean, there's my favorite singer of all times is Ray Charles, you know. So, I mean, if you listen to that, so we have been called racist, you know. Oh, well, you're racist, you know. And we're like, what? Us? Well, also, you know? back then, it wasn't so, it's such a racial, th I mean, the way politics are now and political everything, it's more of a big deal. They weren't tearing down Confederate, you know, monuments, and monuments, else, yeah. and all yeah. that back then. They weren't doing that. It didn't, it didn't hurt people as much. And we never meant to hurt anybody or make anybody's feelings hurt their feelings. We were just a band from the South and proud of it. And it was a gimmick. And you can't Our erase history. Company. You know what Use I mean? What well, are you going to erase history? Well, this is a touchy subject, and it ought to be, yeah. given yeah. our country's history. But it is true, it's just a fact, one can say they like it or don't like it. During the 50s and 60s, on into the early 70s, a lot of institutions and a lot of brands connected with the South had the Confederate flag as an almost automatic signal Southern. University of Mississippi football team and NASCAR teams had it, South Carolina, yeah. all of that. But now we're near the end of the second decade of the 21st century. I think the one thing that's really kind of gotten to us is that you've had a lot of different groups adopt that as their symbol. And I won't get into who it is. But, you know, 
it, it did for them to adopt that. It, it wasn't. It's not the same meaning. You know, we see a lot of mixed races in our shows. You're looking at an Indian right now. Okay. Indian as a Native American. American. Yeah. As a Native. And the deal is we see a lot of a lot of that. And, and we see a lot of mixed races. And they come and they enjoy Sweet Home Alabama. And they enjoy the, the band Leonard Skinner. And uh, personally speaking for me, okay, I can understand uh, some things why people, you know, would take offense, offense to it now. I do. I get it. But uh, we're a rock and roll band. We're not politicians. We don't profess to be politicians. You'll never catch me running for president. <laughs> and I don't think they'd want me in there anyway. Well, I mean, you this is great. I mean, I mean, this is great respect. I'm relieved to hear that. <laughs> me too. Me too. A lot of excitement, I can tell you, when I mentioned people, I'm going to interview Leonard Skinner. Oh, Leonard Skinner, love it. A lot of excitement. But some would say, well, ask him about gun control, because obviously the band had a, a very popular song in the 70s. Saturday, yeah. Saturday, yeah. Night, Saturday Night Special. Yeah. And then more recently, you had another song. God, God and Guns. Guns. Yeah. Yeah. God and guns trying to take away our God and guns. Yeah. So let's talk about it. Was this a political statement of any kind? <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> Go ahead. I am a, uh, I am a collector of weapons. I have a lot of them. I have very strong feelings about what's going on today. I will say that I do believe that there needs to be stronger laws. Uh, for people who are going out here and able to possess, you know, a weapon, you know. Other than that, I think that we have to somehow uh, say to even the parents, if you have those, lock them up because your young, your young kid might be going through some kind of mental instability. Uh, mental health needs to be addressed. And when it comes to that and them getting their hands on a weapon, all my weapons have got trigger locks on them. You'll never get into them. Why? Because I know where the key is. Yeah. Okay? And I do believe we need stronger legislation about who is able to get their hands on one. I really do. For me, I yeah. think, I have shotguns. I don't own any yeah. pistols. Saturday Night Special is about a pistol. Yeah, uh, thirty-eight special, yeah. and back then, that's what people had. You know, my brother wrote a song called "Saturday Night Special." For me, I had plenty of friends. I used to be a hunter. Yeah, you know, I don't hunt so much now, but uh, you know, I can't think of killing Bambi. You know, so or killing something nowadays. But whenever I was younger, I used to love going hunting. But I have friends who work hard all year long. But when hunting season comes, they want to go hunting. They want to go hunting. They want to be able to have that freedom to do that. I would not want to take that away from them. Plus, I like the security. To be honest, Ricky has a saying, and I have it too. And I, my family means everything to me. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I want to be able to protect my family. If somebody comes into my house, breaks into my house, they're going back out, not the same way they walked in. And that's just my feeling about it. And I'm very religious. I just lost my oldest daughter. Just got a new tattoo, Dan. So, and... Uh, 
Jesus. It's of Jesus. And um, I believe in my faith is very, very strong. You know, whenever you lose a child, you have to go either one way or the other way. And I've gone towards Jesus, you know, because I want to see her again. I got to tell you, we're all fathers here. And to see that somebody went into a school oh, with man. an assault weapon, to me, personally, I own shotguns. I got an old Winchester. I love John Wayne. That's <laughs> one of my favorite ones. My son-in-law just got me a new one. And, uh, uh, but as far as assault weapons, for me personally, I wouldn't own one myself. You know, and I don't think it should really be in the hands of many, many people. I got more antique guns than, than anything, all right? I, I have to agree with what Johnny's saying. I mean, I, you, you know, this stuff going on and, and people being able to walk into schools and, and do all this stuff, it just, it, it's mind-blowing to us because we have sons and daughters, and, and you know what I mean? And, and it really gets me. Churches. Yeah, in the churches. I mean, it really gets to me when this happens. It's a, it feels deep within me about all this, you know? And that's why I was saying to you was, uh, there needs to be some kind of coming together to figure out how to solve this problem. And I believe if you did like we're doing now, we could get that problem solved. I got to tell you, faith... Is, does people believe in God anymore? I don't know. I don't know. You know, I, I can't imagine harming someone unless they were trying to harm me personally. You know what I mean? When we were kids, if we got in an argument, we would just go out and fight. You know? <laughs> there wasn't none of this. That's how you settled it. Yeah, that's how you settled it, you know? You know, but now you can't even do that. I mean, you know, in high school, if we had a problem with somebody, they go, well, meet me behind the convenience store. Right. And you'd go behind the convenience store and you'd get it on. And whoever won, you'd get off, brush yourself off and maybe shake hands. And you were friends from then on out. Yeah. yeah one you of know? my best friends I fought in high school. It's like you can't even do that now. No, definitely you know? not. Well, I had no intention of turning this into a political talk. Uh, no, really, no, 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 we love it. No, because we love the, it because these are the kind of questions you're bound to get yeah. wherever you go. When you, oh, yeah. when, when you write about... Saturday night special, sure. uh, uh, God and guns. Yeah. Uh, when you have a history of having the Confederate flag, yeah. you go on across that. But I think the bottom line here, the thrust of my question, are these political statements? And you're saying, no, no. we make music. They're it's not rock and roll songs. I think, <laughs> I, think, I think Ronnie, in a lot of ways, was very political. He wrote for the common people, and he Things wanted to get his opinion on, yeah. across. You know, and I think that came through these, through these songs. I think that's the reason why some of these songs still stand the test of time right now, really. Let me shift gears here and get personal for a minute. Uh-huh. I know who you are as a brand, both as a band and as individuals. But my question is going to be, in your own mind, who are you? Wow, that's great. Wow. You know, you know, for me, I think first and foremost, I'm a dad. I love my kids. You know, if it wasn't for them, you know, I don't know where I'd be. I think that I've tried to be a good man. I try to treat people with respect. 
I'll, I'll listen to you all day long. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll say, okay, well, we may not agree to, but we can agree to disagree, whatever. But we can sit down and talk about it. And I've always considered myself that kind of person. The mayor. The yeah, mayor. Yeah, they call me the mayor. Oh, I didn't know him. They call he you the mayor. Everybody yeah, they, and talks to him. <laughs> they call we always me the feel mayor. like he's running for office. I had a preacher one time. I was talking to him, and I was in a bad mood. I wasn't in a good point in my life, and I was telling him a story, you know, and he said, you know, Johnny, the thing that you need to remember, it's a lot easier to be nice to people. It takes a lot of work to be a mean person. Mm -hmm. And, I, you know, from that kind of hit home with me, and I, I go, you know what? Yeah, you're right. You're right. Try to treat people the way, way you would want to be treated. Now, Gary, who are you? I mean, you're a great songwriter. You're a great musician. Who are you? Well, geez, that's a hard question. Really, you feel weird answering. But like Johnny, I just love my family, my kids, and my grandkids, and and that. And I'm that simple man we wrote about. You know, I, I don't care. I got what everything in life I wanted. I got. You know, I got beautiful kids and a beautiful wife and a great family life. And we Just made it a rock and roll band, one of yeah, the best maybe. bands ever. And I knew, and I got great friends in this band. And the, the original band, our, our guys, that was family. And they were all my brothers. I was so lucky to know them and have them a part of me. But everything going on every day, I thank God uh, what he's given me and, and how much I've gotten. Well, Ricky, Ricky, how about, about yourself? You. Uh -huh. you, you must ask that question yourself. We all do sooner or later. You know, who am I? Who, who am I really? First and foremost, I am the proud grandson of a man who, and a lady, my grandparents. They saved my life. Um, I was born, and I've only got one lung. I have a bad respiratory system. I'm a guy that is proud of, of his heritage. I'm a guy that has a great lady in my life after all the years of not having great ones in my life. And I am a proud dad of a 26-year-old beautiful lady. And last and not least, I am a guy that absolutely loves music. I, am, I love the art of making music, of creating it. And I love the fact that I am surrounded by some of the best musicians that has ever walked the face of this earth, in, in my opinion. I've, been, I've stood on stage with some great ones, but I stand on stage with some great musicians right now, and, I, and I'm very proud of that, with Johnny and Gary. Thank you, bro. And, uh, you know, the rest of the band. I, I'm very proud of that. That's what I am. And uh, I will leave here being just that. I'd talk to you the rest of the evening. Unfortunately, I can't do that, neither can you. But when we asked you where you wanted to do this interview, you picked this intrepid museum. Yeah. Why was that? Well, again, we're big. I love history. I did, for me personally, in school, I did great at history and geography. Those were my two favorite subjects. And anything military or to do with history, I love it. I soak it all in. You know, I'm still learning about it. You know, look around. I mean, here we are. I mean, it's amazing in here. And anything to do with our military. This whole thing is really a great honor, and I'm glad we could sit here with you today and well, talk. Thank you for your kind words. Well, we're going to take a short tour of this intrepid museum. You've been on the carrier before? 
Oh yeah. 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 You know, most, go most to people one. forget how how big a carrier is, and this is not even a super carrier. It's a you know fairly big. It's unbelievable. These you know, planes. It, uh, it just amazes me all the aircraft here. I mean, with well, the know, helicopters. We were talking downstairs. You were telling me how how attached you feel to the military, how strongly you feel about it. From where does that come? Well, I just think it's from love of country and love of the soldiers that we've all met and the ones that come to our shows are so nice and they're great people. And, and yeah. the ones that we know personally, uh, you just can't beat them. And I don't know, we just want to do our part to help, you know? I think about having great uncles, I guess they are. Yeah. In World War One. I, I mean, it's pretty amazing, you know, to me. And uh, we just, we love our military guys. Given that conversation, we have no instruments. And I'm widely known as a fellow who could not carry a tune with a bucket <laughs> with a lid on it. But can we have maybe a chorus of um, America the Beautiful? America the Beautiful? Well, that'd wow. be up to you guys. Yeah. That's something. <laughs> wow. Oh, beautiful. Yeah, sure. Oh, for spacious skies, for amber waves of grain. For purple mountains, majesty above the fruit America, America, God shed his grace on thee and crown thy good with brotherhood from sea to shining sea. Did great. <laughs> awesome. Man, you want to come awesome. sing with us? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah, God bless you, man. Buddy. God bless you. And that's it for this edition of The Big Interview. We're always eager to hear what you have to say, so please follow us on Facebook and Twitter or send your comments to viewer at access.tv. And that concludes another great episode of The Big Interview with Dan Rather. We hope you've enjoyed this journey into the life and music of our special guest as much as we have. Now remember, if you love what you're hearing, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. We'd also appreciate it if you would leave us a review and maybe even share the show with a fellow music lover. And to stay up to date with all things related to the show, you can follow us on social media, where we share behind-the-scenes tidbits, previews, and so much more. Until next time, keep the music playing.